Psalms 23 on page 544. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie in down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your step, thy comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint me, my head, with oil and cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will all will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for forever. Amen. Matthew 11, verses 25, page 966. At the time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and reform the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is good pleasure. All things have been commented me, my Father. No one knows Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. For those who whom the Son choose to reveal him, come to me, and you are weary and burned, and I will give you the rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, you humble me, you humble in heart, and you will find the rest of your souls, for my yoke is easy and burden in the light. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, it's wonderful to see you. So many familiar faces that I know and love, and so many new faces that I don't, and that's good too. I heard about somebody who had a postcard taped on their refrigerator, you know, like we do, which said, please don't tell me to relax. It's only my stress that's holding me together. (laughs) And you know, there's a lot of truth in that statement for many of us. Sometimes it's our tension that holds us together. But the other part of the statement is not so true because you can tell me at any, at any time to relax and I'd love to do so. I love to relax. I love to get away from it all. I'm always eager to exercise what I consider one of my primary spiritual gifts, the gift of vacation. <laughs> and I suspect I'm not alone in this. Who among us doesn't enjoy a good vacation? On this beautiful first Sunday of August 2016, let me ask you a question. What's your ideal vacation? If you could write your own ticket to get away for 10 days, go where you wanted to go, see what you wanted to see, do what you wanted to do, 
Where would you go and what would you do? Okay, it's summertime. Now, take 30 seconds and turn to the person next to you and tell them the answer. What's your ideal vacation? Go. Just one minute, go. My son, John, is in total. Okay, I hear travel plans being made. You know, for some of us, an ideal vacation is a trip to an exotic, faraway destination, a place we've never been before, jetting off to the Mayan Riviera in Mexico, enjoying tapas in Barcelona, Spain, taking in the grandeur of the Rocky Mountains in beautiful Alberta. Our son, John Wesley, is doing that right now in Tokyo, Japan. He's visiting a good friend and seeing the sights and sounds and tastes of the land of the rising sun. Now, for others of us, our ideal vacation is a trip to a place that's familiar, to a cottage, to a particular campsite, to a place up in Algonquin Park, or in the Kawarthas, or Prince Edward County, or Niagara-on-the-Lake. A place that's become so precious in our memories and our experience, and going there is like putting on an old, comfortable pair of slippers. Or perhaps you're more of a staycation kind of person. You enjoy spending time right here in the city where we live in Toronto, making day trips to local attractions. Uh, taste of the Danforth, anybody? <laughs> Somebody has rewritten Psalm 23 with the idea of vacation in mind. Vacation is my shepherd, I shall not stay home. It maketh me to lie down in my sleeping bag. It leadeth me down the 401. Uh, it restoreth my suntan. It leadeth me to the holiday inn for comfort's sake. Even though I stray on the Lord's day, I will fear no reprimand, for I am relaxed. <laughs> my rod and reel, they comfort me. I anoint my skin with oil. My gas tank runneth dry. Surely my trailer will follow me all the weekends of the summer, and I shall return to the house of the Lord in the, in the fall. <laughs> now friends, when you live life like so many of you do, at a fast and furious pace with lots of tension, there comes a point when you just want to stop, when you need to rest and relax, and as the word vacation implies, to vacate means to get away from it all. But have you ever noticed, though, that all too often, 
What, when that long-awaited vacation finally rolls around, a problem develops. Have you ever thought you were getting away from it all, only to discover that the it got up and came with you? <laughs> it's as if we packed our worries, our troubles, our pressures, our personality quirks, right along in the same suitcase with our toothbrush. Have you ever noticed that on vacation you can sometimes, sometimes end up feeling more frazzled than when you started? You ever had a vacation like that? You ever felt like you needed a vacation after your vacation? Often problems with a vacation is we wish we had just a little bit more. But friends, even if we had all the vacation time in the world, it still would not be enough. Because the real problem with vacation, you see, is that it doesn't automatically provide the true rest we really need. Don't misunderstand me. Vacations are a good thing. It breaks up the routine. It, it gets us off the treadmill. But in and of itself, a vacation is not enough. Because it's not just enough to get away from it all. The more important issue is, what are we getting away to? 1,700 years ago, one of Christianity's greatest theologians, Augustine, put it like this in his classic work, The Confessions. He wrote, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you, O Lord. Augustine didn't say our hearts, Lord, are restless until we get two weeks holiday. He said our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, in God. And now here is Jesus. Here is Jesus saying, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. He didn't say go on a Mediterranean cruise. He didn't say do the Bahamas. <laughs> Come to me. Now let me make a theological aside here. And I hope it doesn't take us off track from the main theme of my message. But did you notice Jesus says something really quite peculiar here. Jesus doesn't say here come to God. Uh, and receive these promises. He says come to me. You see, here in this chapter of Matthew's gospel and throughout that book, Jesus presents himself as the fully authorized representative of God. Contrast Jesus with the great philosopher Socrates, who in one of his historic dialogues, the Phaedo says, if you take my advice, Socrates speaking, you will think very little of Socrates and much more about the truth. But friends, for the New Testament, Jesus is truth in person. Without any mitigating explanation, Jesus invites all troubled persons to himself Come here to me, all of you who are struggling. In Jesus, God gets a face. Jesus invites us to himself. And we feel quite naturally we are invited into the very presence of God. The naturalness of this, that, 
that Jesus so easily has us think of God when he talks about himself can only be explained by the truth affirmed throughout the New Testament and embraced by the early church's confession, its belief that Jesus really is God. So it's Jesus the Lord inviting us to himself for rest. Friends, rest then is indeed ultimately a spiritual matter. No doubt we may be physically exhausted, but so often it's deeper than that. In his words of promise, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter when he says, I will give you rest for your souls. You need more than two weeks off for that. What we need is rest for our souls, rest in our innermost being, in the very depths of who we are as persons, because we are spiritually wiped out so often. Our souls are weary. I will give you rest for your souls. You know, it's likely Jesus' words would have had a familiar ring to his hearers, Because they echo that well-known affirmation in Psalm 23, the real Psalm 23. He restores my soul. These words are linked to a phrase that's found often in the Psalms. My soul is cast down. My soul is cast down. When a soul is cast down, it needs to be restored. It needs to be renovated. It needs to be revived. What does that mean? Well, remember that Psalm 23, the one that begins, The Lord is my shepherd, is written from the perspective of what? A sheep. God is like a shepherd who restores the sheep because the sheep is cast down. Now, in sheepdom, cast down is a rather technical term. It happens, did you know, when a sheep falls over, belly up on its back, and if it doesn't land on its all fours and it lands on its back, evidently it is not uncommon for a sheep that lands belly up, particularly when its wool has grown in and it is round and fluffy, to be unable to right itself. That's true. At dinner last night, I spoke to someone who had worked as a shepherd, and she told me that is true. And if you don't believe me, you can check it out on YouTube. The sheep is helplessly stuck on its back until a shepherd comes along and rights it, restores it. And friends, so often in our lives, that is our predicament as well. We're cast down. We fall down. Life is hard sometimes. We, we, We land metaphorically flat on our backs, sometimes literally. We land on our backs physically, emotionally, spiritually. Our souls are cast down. We've lost our balance. We're spiritually belly up. We're we're flailing, crying out, helpless to right ourselves, unable to restore our own souls, even with a trip to the Bahamas. But the shepherd comes along, The shepherd comes along and says even today and spiritually get us on our feet again. Jesus says, I will give you rest 
for your souls. But can Jesus really do that for us? When Jesus says, I will give you rest for your souls, who is this you he's talking about? Who is Jesus addressing when he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened? Who is the all? Now, some commentators of this passage say that Jesus was inviting those who had, who had found the law as the scribes and the Pharisees interpreted it, too difficult to keep, too big of a burden to bear, to keep all the rules. In other words, Jesus was inviting sincere, diligent Bible believers who had become discouraged and burdened by a legalistic interpretation of the law. Jesus was inviting religiously-minded church people for whom religion had become a real grind. Well, maybe. But other interpreters take a broader, wider, more inclusive view, including our great-great-grandfather in the Presbyterian Church, John Calvin. Calvin, among others, says that when Jesus says all, he literally means all. Everybody. Anybody. Not least of all who are those of us who are having a hard time in life. Not least of all those who are worn out from carrying too much. Not least of all us. Jesus gives all who come to him what we need the most. Real rest that is rooted in a relationship with him. Maybe the biggest surprise of all in this little passage is that when Jesus offers us rest, we say yes, but he doesn't offer us an escape. Did you notice that? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Do you know what a yoke is? A yoke is a, a wooden cross piece that's fastened over the necks of two animals and attached to a plow or a cart that these animals are to pull. It's, a, it's, an, it's an instrument of labor. It's an instrument of work for those animals. It's a piece of farm equipment to get a pair of horses or oxen or donkeys or mules to do their part in working the farm. Now, friends, do you not find that a bit ironic? That Jesus offers already tired people another piece of equipment? Not a vacation? Not even a short nap on a Sealy Posturepedic? Christ comes alongside of us and offers us a yoke. But, this is a yoke that fits because Jesus knows that the most restful gift he can give to the weary is a new way of carrying the burdens of life. A new way of bearing the responsibilities that life puts upon us. You see, friends, real rest is not, hear me, real rest is not a workless, burdenless, carefree environment. No, real rest 
is a Christ-filled environment. Take my yoke on you, for my yoke is easy. Rest, then, is plowing and plodding through life side by side with Jesus. Rest is shouldering the loads of life, not alone, not in isolation by ourselves, but in tandem with the risen Lord. So see the yokes on you. (laughs) Not, Not to restrict you, not to cramp your style or to weigh you down with another ought or to do on your list, but to refresh you, to renew you, to set you free by being yoked to Jesus. Jesus wants us to be yoked to him, to be connected with himself. Now that sounds simple. How does that happen? Jesus tells us in the passage, the way that we are most intimately connected to Christ is through his word. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and, what's the next phrase? Learn from me. When we are yoked to Christ, he becomes our personal teacher, our tutor, our companion, our mentor, our friend. Christ teaches us. He speaks with us. He is present to us. He is alive with us through the Word of God in Scripture. And we learn from Him every time we read and study God's Word. Every time we listen with eyes of faith and ears open to a sermon every time we celebrate the sacraments. So when we take Christ seriously, when we study Him, when we let Him patiently teach us through His Word, then we will experience the rest and renewal and refreshment that we long for deep down inside of us. A wise Christian once put it like this, In the final analysis, he writes, there there are no techniques for the renewal of individual Christians or congregations. There is simply taking Jesus seriously in his word. That's the source of renewal. You want rest? You want personal renewal? Knox Church, do, do you want renewal and revival as a congregation? There's no techniques. There's no five simple steps. There's only the Word. That certainly was a major theme in the 16th century renewal of the church we call the Protestant Reformation. Within a decade after Martin Luther had nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg Castle church door, he preached a sermon and explained his perception of his own role in the events of the Reformation. Luther, the father of the Reformation, if there ever was one, explained his role like this, and I quote from Timothy George's book, Theology of the Reformers. Luther says, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And then, while I slept or drank beer with my friends, 
The word so greatly weakened the papacy that never a prince or emperor did such damage to it. I did nothing, says Luther. The word did it all. You see, friends, the Reformation, if it was anything, was a back-to-the-Bible movement. When it came to the 16th century renewal of the church, the word did it all, which means that the word was not just informative. It means the word of God has the power to do what it says. It is transformative. The Bible isn't here just to give us facts and details and beliefs about God, but to make us more like God, to change us from the inside out when the Spirit and the Word work in us, so that the grace and love and communion of the triune God become a lived reality within us and through us to others. As we seek rest and renewal in our lives, as we seek rest and renewal in this church and the broader church, This is what we need to remember. The Word still does it all. In my life, in your life, in the church's life. The essential ingredient of renewal is to be yoked to Jesus and learning from Him through His Word. So the key question is then, are you yoked to Jesus? Are you connected to Christ? Are you actively trying to listen and hear what he's saying? Are you involved in reading and pondering and meditating on and studying his word, the scriptures? I noticed an advertisement in the the, the bulletin today that you're looking for a, a pastoral director for home churches, for your small groups. Wow, yes. I pray that as a congregation both individually and in your small groups and home churches, you will become increasingly intentional about reading and pondering and reflecting on Scripture, about extending Jesus' invitation to come to Him and to learn from Him. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me when you're feeling bone-deep weariness inside. Come to me when the biopsy report comes back from your doctor and it's bad news. Come to me when you're enduring this new season of your life without your beloved partner. Come to me when your kids or your parents' behavior is about to send you over the edge. Come to me when you're working 12 hours a day. It feels like seven days a week and you still can't manage to get on top of the pile or put money in the bank, much less enough bread on the table. Come to me. Come to me every time you get fed up with your life. Come to me when you're ready to bag the church because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. Come to me, says Jesus, every time you wonder if the grass is greener elsewhere. Because Jesus' invitation still stands. Come to me. And as the psalmist said of the good shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Which means the grass is always greenest where? In the Lord's presence. 
So whether we're on vacation or buried beneath the weight of a ton of demands and worries, remember, friends, rest is not a place. It's a relationship with the living person, Jesus Christ. No matter where we are geographically or emotionally, Christ is present with us through His Word, through His Spirit, and especially today through His table. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Lord, there are surely some of us here this morning who are feeling overwhelmed or weighed down. Some folks who are carrying a heavy load. Lord Jesus, today, in this moment, would you come alongside them right now and assure them of your presence and help them, Lord, carry their burdens. And Lord, there are others of us who have begun to imagine that we don't need you all that much, that, that your yoke is chafing our freedom, that there must be a better way, there must be an easier way. Oh God, don't let us get away with that. Keep us connected with you. Help all of us to come to you and to continue to learn from you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.